Good morning. Let me put on my glasses because I want to make an announcement. And it's for Operation Christmas Child. We've been doing, we've been packing boxes here since our inception, probably, maybe two years after that. And uh, Bob and Sue Bowman, they usually head this up, but last year, Bob and Sue, they were, you could tell the plane was coming in for a landing and they was looking for someone to take that over. We still need their help. We still need their instructions. But I'm, I'm kind of here to do what I do best. And you can ask my wife about this. What I do best is I exhort and sometimes I chastise a little too much. But I don't want to do that. But as I was uh, listening to uh, uh, Operation Christmas Child, went to a function, and they were saying this small little church, about 20, 30 members, they average every year, this is no joke, they average about 100 no, 800 shoe boxes. And no, we do outreaches and we do all those things across the streets, and that's good and well. But we're also going through the Gospel of Mark on Wednesday. And Mark is an action book. The Romans, when, when the Romans were in their day, it seemed like they had TikTok, Facebook, and everything because they were still so busy. And now we are busy. And so we don't usually go to house to house, and we do sometimes and spread the gospel. But there's no better way to do this than when you're at the store, if you see a, a nice little teddy bear or some uh, a little toys or just face cloth, soap, things like that, purchase them and bring them because we want to set a record this year. We're going to start early packing. And the reason this is so important, not because we just have things to do, we want something to do. They say each box that's given to a child, one in four shoe boxes, the child gets saved. Now imagine that. We know in the gospel, not the gospel, we know in Acts when, when the man got saved, the Holy Spirit lets us know the entire family was saved. They're only counting the one child that got saved. So if we had, a, I think we had 300, 350 shoeboxes, that's 70, 80 kids that came to know Jesus Christ. And then when they started telling their parents about our wonderful Savior, I'm sure there's more. So I'm really letting you off the hook. You don't have to go with me across the street to witness. You don't have to do all those things. Just when you're busy in your daily life and you see that little cute football, miniature one, and if you see that little cute teddy bear, something that'll go in a shoebox, just purchase it because you're witnessing to people and God is changing lives like he's going to do. So just remember that. We're in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews this morning. I'm glad Pastor Jonathan came up and straightened my mess up. I had people ask me, when are these home groups, and when are you going to announce these home groups? So 
J Dove came up and that was for you, Pat. <laughs> we're in the we're <laughs> we'll talk about that later. We're in the chapter eleven, the Hall of Fame. I went to the Hall of Fame once, football Hall of Fame. And uh with my friend David Hickey and you know, I was impressed by it, but it didn't have the glamour and the shine that I thought would be on it. I mean, you go and you look at the rings and you get see the helmets and those old shoulder pads they used to wear. And I know that guy and I know that guy. And all it was doing is just letting me know I'm aging very fast. But this is what we're going to look at a few verses today. And the writer is addressing these Hebrew believers, remember, they have made a profession of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And in order to have a right standing with God, you have to do that because it's based solely on trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for that right standing. But they're all of a sudden being tempted by friends by family, maybe facing a little bit of persecution. In fact, it was a quite a bit of persecution, wanting them to turn away from Jesus and back to the laws and back to all of the ceremonial uh, washings and all those things they have to do. In effect, trying to establish what they're really doing, trying to establish their own righteousness, their own right standing before God, and that was on the basis of good works, which is nothing, which is nothing, Isaiah says, but filthy rags to a holy God. So in chapters 1 through 10, the writer has addressed the theological and the biblical problems with making that kind of decision to go back under the law, under the sacrifices, to have a right standing before God. That's very, very unsound. That's a very unsound decision to make. So in these chapters, the writer of Hebrews is taking great pains, great pains. It seems like I'm reiterating this, this message over and over again. You're right. I am really not me. The Holy Spirit is doing it because it's so important for us to understand that Jesus is better, much better than the prophets. He's better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses, than Aaron, to anybody else, any other fake religion. Jesus is our high priest, Remember, he's after the order of Melchizedek. So he provides man with a better covenant with God. He provides us with a great, greater access to God. And on and on, the writer of Hebrews goes, describing the superiority of Jesus to all of these other things they were being tempted to return to. So in other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you can't improve on Jesus Christ, the high priest, because he's the only one that can cleanse us from our sins. And he, then he takes away the shame and the guilty conscience. That's how 
powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. Don't go back. You can't do it. And to go back is to really leave the superior for the inferior. To leave the old covenant for the new covenant. He warns them not to do that because consequences, the consequences of doing that is very, very severe. And they're eternal consequences. Remember how he spoke in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, when he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation? I see people neglect that salvation each and every day. Too busy to hear a word about Jesus Christ. Too busy living this life as if they're never going to give up the ghost. How can we neglect a great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard? Hebrews 10, 29 tells us how much of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. Over and over, the Holy Spirit is warning them against making the decision that they're being tempted to make. Chapter 9, he's laying out the biblical case for faith in Christ, for right standing before God. He now begins to speak to them of the need for faith and endurance. From now on, when you think of faith, I hear that word faith all the time around the church. But every time you hear that word faith, I want you to think of the word endurance. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. So again, in the first nine plus chapters, he's addressing those among this group of Hebrew believers, those that because of their shallowness, really, and inadequacy of their understanding of the scriptures, He's giving them, he's giving them a Bible study on the fact that what you're leaving Jesus for is infinitely inferior to what you are kicking the pricks to leave him for. So he's addressing one group. It's a theological shortcoming they have. They don't understand the scriptures. That's what one reason I love Calvary Restore, and usually it's most Calvary chapels because we teach the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I know you've heard me say this before. I used to tell my middle school group all the time, if I did nothing else but come up and read a chapter, that's sufficient. That's sufficient to get the job done. I add a little flavor. I add a little color. But the Holy Spirit is doing the work. It's the words. It's the words that matter. You'll hear about some people that has been in church a long time. And then the next time you hear about them, they may be attending a Jehovah Witness meeting or a Mormon meeting or something, meeting or something. And you say, how in the world could they leave the scriptures to go to one of these groups? How did they get there? And then you realize 
that for all the church attendance they went to, they never got deep in the word of God. And so they didn't know what they had was better than anything anybody else could have. So he addresses those that are theologically unsound, but he addresses now in Hebrews 11, a second group of people who are being tempted to leave Christ because they don't understand their Bible very well. There's another group also of Hebrew believers that are being tempted to leave Christ because of persecution. They're starting to face the faith and pressure is building upon them. And so they're being tempted on the basis of comfort and ease. Of all these warnings I will give this morning, and we're only going to look at 11 verses, the one I think that snags me the most is comfort and ease. And the scriptures, the writer of Hebrews will look at that. To leave Christ, it's just easier to go back to the old ways and not be fighting my family all the time and my friends and all of my acquaintances in Christ. We should never look at these people that are leaving here in the book of Hebrews just a bunch of wimpy Christians because they're not. These Christians we know from chapter 10, they've already paid an enormous price for following Christ. They've been around the block a few times. The writer of Hebrews spoke of their adversity, that they had faced the humiliation that they had faced, a loss of property, imprisonment. They had faced, and so on, these Christians are badly in need of encouragement, like we are at times. This group's gone through many difficulties. They're being tempted to leave once again because this is flat out hard for them. So, the writer of Hebrews, he begins to give them, I know what can, will help you guys out. Remember your history from the BC days. He's wanting to drive home one point to them. That's the reason he, he brings these men up and tell, tell, begins to tell about them. It takes faith and endurance to be obedient to God and to please God in this fallen world. In other words, don't think that God is asking something extraordinary from you when he calls you into his kingdom. It's always been about faith, but endurance has been dragging right behind faith to walk with God in this fallen world. He talks about endurance there in chapter 10, 36, when he says, for you have need of endurance. Remember that? So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And in chapter 11, he then calls, and I'll say 17 witnesses to the witness stand to establish his fact. Here's a testimony of Enoch. Here's a testimony of Noah. Here's a testimony of Moses and his parents. And each one of them, the same thing has been required. 
faith and endurance to please God. He says in Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. Those two words never go together with me. Run, that strikes, I stop listening when someone asks me to run. <laughs> I'll walk a little bit, but I'm not running. But there's the word endurance, the race that is set before us. I told you guys, when you get saved, you're in those starting blocks. I don't know if you ever ran track or anything, but you, you, they put starting blocks if you're running any sprinter's race. Even the 220 starting blocks are there. And that's the way it is when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You're in the blocks. And then you begin to run. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That once, and as they're running this race, you know, the scriptures never talk about what we do in heaven. Uh, or let me put it this way. The scriptures never tell that we can look back on earth to see what's going on from heaven to earth. But it does give us a small glimpse sometimes because the only thing we know that they know about what happens on earth is when somebody gets saved down here. The Bible says everybody in heaven celebrates when a saint, when a sinner becomes a saint on earth. So I don't know how that works out but I'm riding with the scriptures on it. It's some way they just begin to shout and celebrate. They're testifiers. And every one of these witnesses are testifiers to the fact that he likens this Christian race, this Christian life as a race that God has called us to, that it can be run well and it can be finished well. I want you to imagine you're finishing a marathon, and that's a lot of imagination for me. And all of a sudden, they tell me you can run, and you're running two miles, three miles. Notice I said they tell me, five miles, a marathon, and you just hit the wall. I've watched enough Olympics that I can gaze at. Sometimes they're running, they're running all this, and then you know when they come into the stadium, and the people will rise up and they begin to encourage them and, test, and they're testifying that you're in the middle of the race of faith. And how do we know that we can finish this race, you guys? Because they finished it. They finished what God called them to. And why did they finish? Because of faith and endurance. Chapter 11 is written to encourage us, encourage the believers that the things that God has called us to can be lived and run and finished. No matter what weight has been placed on our shoulders, no matter what circumstances of situations of life may fall upon us. And when they do fall upon us, remember Peter tells us, they filter through the hands of God, so he's allowed them to come. We have to have faith and endurance. 
Verse 1 says, Hebrews chapter 11, he gives us a definition of faith. I've never quite liked this definition. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is he saying? That faith is living, is a living absolute, is having confidence in what God has said, even when the fullness of the promise isn't seen yet. That's what faith is. We walk by faith, not by sight. You know, I like to walk by sight and call it faith. That's, that's what I'm very good at. It means to live in absolute confidence in what God has said will come to pass even when you don't see the fullness of the promise yet. The Living Bible, I use that every once in a while. I like what he's, it says. It says, it is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. Now, let me straighten that out. The things that we want, if we are in line with what Jesus wants, and he has spoke to us. We don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen. It is that certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it ahead yet. So faith is believing something to be true simply because God has said it. If we can only do that, we'll ride with no problems to the kingdom. Notice verse 2, for by it, faith, the elders, those that walk with Jesus before us, obtain a good testimony. No Christian will ever obtain a good testimony before God without faith. It requires faith to do that. No one will ever hear that without being required to walk by faith in God's promises in this fallen world. He says in verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Now, people kind of look sideways at that passage. They say today, you believe your Bible? Do you actually believe what the Bible says? Yes. You take the word of God literally? Yes. Even in my days at college, and that's been many moons, I've sat through a lot of classrooms and indoctrinations where, you know, they make fun of the Bible, and it's, it's, that's the norm today. You can expect that. That's why students need to be cemented in the word of God before we usher them off to universities and things. Parents and grandparents, I pray your kids and grandkids will have the testimony of young Timothy when they are mature. Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. That's my prayer for every youth here. 
there's that perception today that people who don't believe in the Bible, they're living the illuminated life, the enlightened life. And these poor Neanderthals here who still believe the Bible word for word and verse by verse and chapter by chapter is still living in the dark ages. Well, I like living in the dark ages if that's what it means. Because without faith in God and his word, we'd be completely in the dark. And what is most important in life is how we got here. Why are we here? Why are we born with emptiness in our heart? Why are we born lonely? Why are we born and live and develop a sense of guilt in our life? Why do we have that sense that there must be something more to life? Why do we die? That's a good question. What happens after you die is a better question. These are subjects and issues that can never, ever be answered apart from God, from God's revelation. So we believe that the heavens and the earth were created by God because God declares that he created the heavens and the earth in the word of God. Now, that's an offense, isn't That's an offense to many people to many people's intellect, but get over it. God is infinitely smarter than you and me and AI also. So by faith in what God has said, we have an understanding that the simplest believer has, has the most brilliant person in the world who thinks he knows everything, he has them beat when it comes to the knowledge that you need to have. And so now he begins to speak about these different witnesses to the fact that this life that we run, this life that we live for God, that it requires faith and endurance. Verse 4, and as I'm walking down the hall of fame, I see Joe Namath, I see all these football players, Fran Tarkenton and them all, but this one's better. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, taking us back to Genesis, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being, and through, and through it he being dead still speaks. Abel's faith was demonstrated in the fact that he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Remember, Abel was a shepherd. He was a keeper of the sheep. And he offered to God a sacrifice of the firstlings of the flock, an animal sacrifice. Cain was a farmer, and he offered to God his vegetables, the fruit of the ground, he gave a portion of his crops. Now, the interesting thing that helps us understand all of this, we're flatly told by God in Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. 
but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, why? Why was God pleased with one sacrifice and not pleased with the other? Does the Lord like ranchers and not farmers? I don't think so. It says Cain became very angry with God over the whole thing. And God, as he always is, he was very, very gracious when he approached Cain. Genesis 4, 6 says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should, listen, rule over it. God did not rebuke Cain because he had guessed that God wanted vegetables for a sacrifice and he had guessed wrong. No, that wasn't it. What God is rebuking Cain for is his failure to do what God has, had commanded, to do well, to do what was right. He's rebuking him for knowing what his will was and ignoring it. And I'm personally convinced that God had made it very clear to these two young men what he wanted and why he wanted it. They were to approach God with that blood sacrifice, and Abel believed it, and he obeyed God's command, and Cain did not obey the command. He refused God's counsel to walk by faith, to walk by obedience, and instead he was persecuted for it, and he killed Abel, who pleased God and walked by faith. The lesson is, that he's bringing us through these Hebrews believers is about walking by faith. Is that Abel suffered and he was persecuted for simply obeying. It happens today. And that was happening then. They were suffering and they were being persecuted, these Hebrew believers. That's why the writer of Hebrews is bringing each of these Hall of Famers up and, and telling you a little bit about it, that your circumstances that you're going through, Hebrew believers, they've already been through it. The circumstances that these Hebrew believers are going through and did not give up, these Hall of Famers didn't give up, God expects us to read it and continue to have faith and endurance. That's what it's about. On how... We were to approach God through his son, the Lord Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, what you are facing in the face of these Hebrew brethren and opposing the ways of God, that's as old as Genesis 4. The self-righteous and those that want to establish their own righteousness before God on the basis of some system of work, through their own effort that they come up with and they persecute those who don't, who would come to God on the basis of faith that is as old as Genesis 4, showing us that those who genuinely walk by faith, they've long been targeted. He also is telling them that not to think that death or to think that martyrdom 
is the worst that can happen to a person. Yes, Abel, he was killed. He was killed for his faith, for his obedience to God. But what happens? His name lives on forever. His testimony is a testimony that cannot be killed. And so for them, here they are, they're obeying God and approaching God through the sacrifices that's accepted, the sacrifices of Jesus, and though they would be killed, they cannot kill the testimony of the fact that we are approaching God in a way that God has prescribed. Matthew 10, 28, our Lord says, tells us, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the one to be afraid of, speaking of God. Any Cain, any Cain can come and kill us at any time. But will that be your, your testimony that you please God through faith in Jesus? And that testimony will live for eternity. Better to be among the prescribed few that have faith in Jesus Christ, obedient in their relationship with God, than to be among those who disobey God's command. That's what Abel teaches us. And regarding, regarding how he's to approach God, his life could have been a lot easier if he would have caved in. That's true. But Abel had his eyes on the Lord when he died. What we've been in life when we live this, leave this place will continue to speak volumes after we're gone. He didn't believe in a God that wasn't trustworthy. Abel knew that God was trustworthy. And that'll be his legacy from now on. Cain could not take from Abel's legacy. Then he moves on to Enoch, verse 5. He says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. In Genesis 5, 21 through 24, is the account related to this. We should wonder what was so good about Enoch that the Lord had just had to take him home. I wonder that sometimes. Was Enoch a special Christian or something? It says in Genesis, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What was it about Enoch? That pleased the Lord. For God to just say, I can't, I tried, but I want you here with me. I, I've got to take you. A time in human history when it wasn't easy to walk with God. So what's he saying here? These Hebrews believers, this is what they're thinking. They're thinking about caving because it's been hard for two, five, ten years. He said, listen, listen. 
Let's look at our history for a minute. Enoch walked with God when it was hard, and he walked faithfully with God for 300 years, and he did not quit, Hebrew believers, Christian believers today, in the midst of hard times. And if he can do it, then we can do it also. So he's the picture of endurance and staying faithful to God. Oh, I got a divorce. I'm just going to forget it. Do what I want to. Live any way I want to. Oh, I lost the spouse. I'm going to turn away from God. I'm not belittling these things. I'm saying God knew the events that would happen to you when he called you, when he saved you. And he still called you. So he has what you need to continue to walk with him. Remember that. Verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. In other words, works for salvation cannot please God. It takes faith. He says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith trusts in the fact that as I walk obediently to the Lord in faith with him, that this ends up being rewarded by God. There's a reward at the end of all of this. No matter how hard it is in this world, no matter how tough it gets down here. Remember, I tell you this all the time, on that little pill uh, bottle, that prescriptions say it, it should work. Maybe it'll work. I'll give you a better example. You know, you can be watching a commercial on TV and a, a, some prescription comes on and you're interested in it. And then they begin to list off all of the, uh, but be careful with this, be careful with this, be careful. And that, by that time you say, just forget it. God told us, Jesus told us in this world, we will have tribulations. So he tells us from the get-go, but be of good cheer. I've overcome, so you are overcomers, and you're not going to be down here forever. You will get a reward at the end of this. That's what he's telling these Hebrew believers. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he says in first, verse 7, by faith, he gives another example. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for, for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world by his godly action. He condemned the world because they could have got on and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So he uses Noah as an example of faith. Noah was alive on this planet at a time which they never had never been rain. Huh, I wish it was still like that. I, I don't like rain. We need it, but I don't like it. God brings rain on the earth because the wickedness of man. That's Genesis chapter 6. The Bible says that when God looked at the earth in the time of Noah, it was filled with wickedness. And through all of that wickedness, there was Noah, and he found favor in the sight of God. So God came to Noah 
And he said, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring a flood on the earth, and I'm going to bring rain on the earth, and I'm going to destroy the wickedness of man. I want you, though, Noah, to build me an ark. I'll give you the, the dimensions of it. I want you to bring all the animals into it. Lord, how? Don't worry, they'll come to you. That's what the scripture says, and that's what they do. And anyone else who wants to come into the ark, let them come. Because judgment, Noah, is coming. And what did Noah do? He was faithful. He built the ark. In the middle of a dry, parched earth, it had never rained. He's out there building the ark. People are, I'm sure, are ridiculing him, making fun of his family and all. Noah continued. Does, he does that by faith. For a hundred years on a scorched, dry ground. Help me out. How many people came into that ark? The Bible says Noah and his family. Anybody who wanted to go in could have went in. They were too busy making fun. Noah and his family. To these believers, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that are beginning to cave because things are hard. Look at your life. Things could be getting hard, might be getting hard, is hard. What are you going to do? Sit down? Turn back? Go away? By faith and endurance, they receive the promise. Doesn't matter if things get hard. And what he's driving home through Noah is, you can walk with God even if nobody else walks with God in the whole world. You can do it. How do I know you can do it? Noah did it. He's just like you. And Noah was faithful to God in the face of the scorning. Can you imagine the jokes that were hurled at Noah and his family? But he didn't stop. He built that ark. He had faith for 100 years, not in a promise, not in a promise related to salvation, but just 100 years to obey God about a judgment that was coming in the necessity of building the ark. He believed God concerning a lesser thing than these Hebrew Christians are believing in the face of lesser evidence than these believers being tempted to leave Jesus over and over again. But they had to stay faithful, and they will stay faithful. With all of the scoffing going on, in the face of scorning, as Peter talks about in his second epistle, but also in the face, and this is what I want us to be, antennas raised in the heart when I speak of this one. Persecution hasn't hit us the way it's going to hit us. But next, the writer of Hebrews begins to speak on indifference. And sometimes that's harder even than scorning and mocking. Where the whole world, you know, has the collective yawn concerning Christianity and obeying the word of God. Jesus, he spoke about this. How in the last days, there's going to be, 
as the times of Noah marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking and business as usual and just going on living everyday life like it's never gonna be over. And here you are a Christian. You believe that a judgment is gonna happen upon the earth that we need to be ready for and ready to escape and all of that. They just look at it and they just go on about their business. You start to think, am I crazy? Am I the only one think judgment is coming? But he continued. Noah stayed faithful. Verse, the latter part of verse 7 says, For the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, righteousness which is according to faith. How important was it that Noah was obedient? I don't know about you guys, but I, I say it was very important because if he wasn't obedient, I wouldn't be here, and you wouldn't either. So it was very important. If he didn't, we'd been in a lot of trouble. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is speaking to these Hebrews right here. God calls Lot, I'm amazed, righteous Lot in the New Testament. And that speaks of the graciousness of the New Testament, how God sees things in that way. But he takes his whole family and brings them to Sodom. And the crazy thing about Lot, one of the great lessons, I think, husbands and for fathers is the fact that Lot was able to survive the wickedness of Sodom. But what he did not take in account was his wife, and she could not, and the children could not. And he made a decision without taking them into account, and they were destroyed in the judgment, remember that, that came upon the earth, both with his daughters getting out, and then it, it gets even worse. But here's what he did. He prepared that ark for the saving of the household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. When he obeyed God and he got on that ark, he condemned the world, Noah did. And how did he condemn the world? He condemned the world because if he and his family could be saved, then everybody around him could have been saved. So Noah here, he was faithful to God through difficult circumstances. It's always required faith and endurance. He says in verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. How many would do that? <clears throat> I'm glad no hands were raised. I'm looking. <laughs> Here, Abraham, and in the Hall of Fame of football, the only person I really wanted to see was Gail Sayers and Joe Namath. For some reason, they're my favorite football players. So all the rest of them, I could shoo them away. Well, this is Abraham we're speaking of here. Everybody wants to see him. Abraham leaves his hometown and he heads out. And he didn't even know what city he was going to or the destination he was going and here's the father of their faith, and he walked by faith. When God told him to move out, 
We have to understand Abraham was a rich man in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham wasn't in need of anything, he thought. Wasn't in need of anything. But God began to draw and woo him. The Bible doesn't tell us how long it was before Abram took off. But one thing about Abram, when he took off, he had his mind made up. As he was calling Abraham to leave everything that represented security, and we all love security in, in this life. And I want, I want you not only to leave that, but go to a place that you don't even know, Abraham. When you leave it, that's faith. That's a hard thing to do. And here he is. He's in a place and he's comfortable. And you know when, how it is when you're comfortable. And the doorbell rings. He was prosperous in his hometown, surrounded by his family. He has it all. I mean, everything's going great for him in his life. And he just sets out and he goes. He's at, he has all things he thinks, we think. God knows he needed him. And we have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. And look to a desperate world that, that needs Jesus Christ. I need to get out in front of watching Alabama football when football season comes. And I should be telling people about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what matters. That's what matters. And that's what Abraham does. He's calling them out, the writer of Hebrews, he's calling them out, these Hebrew believers, out of their tradition. He's calling them out of their worship that they've known historically, something that's comfortable for them, something that's security for them, something that they're set in that we don't like to move the way when we're seated and set it and we've been doing it all our lives. He's calling them into something brand new. And they think this is so hard. This is unprecedented in our history. Now, the writer says the father of our nation was called in that same way in order to begin something new. Left all that comfort like a pilgrim and a stranger in a foreign city. God was calling them, these Hebrew believers, to leave their former life just like Abraham obeyed God. They needed to do this, have the same faith. And verse 9 tells us, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He waited that's a good place to stop. Worship team come up. He waited for a foundation whose builder and maker was God. We need to learn how to wait, you guys. We need to learn to have faith and endurance. 
We're not home yet. And we need to act like we're not home yet. We, uh, Ephesians says, Paul says, we need to walk, learn to walk circumspectly. That's on a tightrope. And it's a long way at the, at the bottom. That's the way I need to live my life on this earth. It has a lot of traps out here. Our kids, there are a lot of traps for them, and we need to be praying and constantly praying for them. We, we, we should never kick back and take it easy down here. I, no matter how much I love David Hickey, when I go to his house, I don't kick back and relax like I do at my house. I don't take my pants off and be in my boxers. And no, I don't do that at David Hickey's house. No, no, I can't do that. That's the way we should live here. We can't get comfortable here. We shouldn't get comfortable here. This world has a lot of booby traps. And we need to walk circumspectly. And we need never need to just, I can relax. Satan is always looking, peeking to find where we're vulnerable. And believe me, he will take that and start a wildfire that will last for a while. We need to walk circumspectly because we're not home yet. We shouldn't, I made it, until we get there and say, I made it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's what the Apostle Paul says. That's why he could say, I'm the chief among sinners. I'm saying, Paul, what are you saying? No, I wish I was, I was like you. And Paul says, no, I'm the chief. And he wasn't just saying it to say it. He knew what he could do. Just like uh, Barnhouse says, if not by the grace of God, so go I. That's any day of any week 24-7. You better remind yourself of that. We need to walk circumspectly, and we need to be in the Word, and we need to be in prayer, and we need to be uh, surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ. Like the Scripture says, don't, please don't let down your guard. Help me out. I think that Scripture says, in the springtime of the year, when he was supposed to be at war, he was reclining on top of his roof. And that's what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's whether it's the springtime, while we're down here, we're in a war. This is warfare. We're in a battle. We don't have time to kick back like David did. Because when he kicked back, that's where Satan had been watching, and that's where he fell. We don't want to, we need to be like the Apostle Paul who says, I run the race, and I'm not going to give up. I'm running until he takes me home. Many people have rested when they shouldn't have rested. That's all the writer of Hebrews is saying here. We'll finish it later, but I want you to know how important it is to be in your word, 
to be in your word, to be in fellowship, and surround yourself with believers, whether it's teaching them, whether it's discipling them, but surround yourself with believers. And then you go out like Jesus sent them out two by two to witness. We don't need any Lone Rangers. Satan is busy about his job. And then we won't even start talking about the flesh. <laughs> He's busy too. So all the writer of Hebrews is saying all the way through this chapter, run this race with endurance. Don't stop running until you cross, you break that. Well, I can't, I don't know how it is to break the tape. I've never been number one. <laughs> I always ran by the guy, other through five or six guys who ran through, so I ain't gonna lie to you. I don't know what that feels like, but I bet it feels good. I bet that feels good. I'll get to break it when I get to heaven. Jesus will have it out there for Come to me, son. Come to me. <laughs> he's good. You guys know he's good. David said he's altogether lovely. David says in his presence there's fullness of joy, and at his right hand there's pleasures forevermore. That's why we keep running. That's why we keep running. I exhort you to keep running. Let's pray. Father, the Godhead is brilliant. More than that, the Godhead is holy. Lord, and just like these Hebrew believers who are wanting, slipping to turn back to Judaism, really, you send this writer of Hebrews to say, don't turn back. Don't let go because I want to show you when you reach that finish line, I want to show you what eyeballs are for. I want to show you what ears are truly for. When you get here, it's going to be all worth it. Yes, my son is right when he said in this world you will have tribulation and I have no part of that. It's because Adam's sin and sin entered. And where sin enters, it brings death and destruction and all that. And I know you have to step through all that stuff every day. But I've sent a lifeboat and his name is Jesus. So just sit there and follow him all the way home. When you get there, you'll say it was worth it. Lord, I don't know, there might be some here that's struggling. I pray that you would flood them with the Holy Spirit, that he would give them the endurance to continue running. There might be cloudy days above, but the sun will shine again. Father, I pray, I want everybody to know and understand that Jesus Christ is all we need. He's all we need. Take hold of him and walk with him. Lord, I just ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.